Welcome to another edition of Tech Interviews. So on this week's show, we're going to be taking a look at the world of compliance and, and um, automation of compliance and, and regulatory uh, demands, uh, and particularly focused on two areas, I think, this week. One around the financial sector, but also this increasingly interesting area of how do we deal with uh, compliance in an increasingly data-driven world? How do we deal with compliance for people who don't necessarily have easy access to technology and don't necessarily have a um, significant uh, digital footprint? So so it's a really interesting topic, one we've not kind of touched on before, but um, but something I think makes it a, a really interesting show. So to, uh, to tell me to discuss that this week, I'm joined by uh, Shubhradeep Nandi. Hi, Shub. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Paul, and uh, hope you're doing great as well. Yeah, real good, thank you. And uh, well, well, great to be uh, have you on Tech Interviews. Thanks for taking some time out of uh, out of what's late for uh, late for you uh, recording from where you are today. So, but thanks for taking some time on on this evening for us. Um, so, uh, well, look, before we get started, before we jump into our topic, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about who you are, your background, and what it is you do. Absolutely, I think thanks, Paul, for uh, giving me this opportunity. Uh, and uh, uh, so. I started uh, my career as a technologist, right? So I'm, I'm primarily a person who loves technology, fascinated by new technologies. So I started as a technologist in, in financial industry. Really loved the domain. Uh, and, uh, and that's how actually it helped me to also build my first startup in 2011, which was actually a fintech startup. And uh, 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 as new things fascinate me, I dived way back in 2014 uh, into the field of data sciences. So that is uh, like six years back, right? Where even data science was not such a glamorous topic as we see today. So uh, eventually in the journey, I met my other two co-founders. Initially met Prasanna, who is my first co-founder, right? And during my management classes, and we both dived into applied AI, distributed ledger technologies, FinTech, Rectech. And then I met my uh, uh, second co-founder, right, who is uh, Venkat, right? So we met uh, during our tenure, uh, during my tenure at one of the organizations, we shared a great repo synergy. So essentially uh, about me, right, uh, uh, during my tenure with banks, enterprises, fintechs, I've been very closely working with risk compliance teams, C-level executives, right? So I learned that uh, there is a lot of uh, space for innovation. And what we see here is that compliance, unfortunately, uh, is still seen as a black box. And a lot of regulatory changes take a lot of time to basically get into the system, sometimes not well implemented, sometimes very human intensive. Unfortunately, leading to a lot of errors, uh, in some cases, major flows, which finally leads to a lot of uh, uh, fines and penalties. So this uh, helped me that to basically uh, uh, think through, right, what are those gaps and how probably as, uh, as, 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 as having understanding about technology, right, dive deeper into those, ensure that those problems can be solved. And that's where we three got together and we started this amazing company called PyChain, which probably we'll be talking next. 
Yeah, indeed we will. Yeah, so so we'll we'll talk a little bit about kind of pie chain and what what you guys are doing um, a, a little later. Um, and for people who are familiar with the show, obviously they'll they'll know kind of what we like to do is try and set some kind of context around uh, the industry that you're working and and some of the challenges. Now, and I thought it was interesting in your introduction. I mean, two things I think. One for the uh, the techies in the audience, uh, they'll love the sound of your background. You know, proper data scientist. So um, you know, somebody who does proper technical stuff. We like that. Um, and and I think, but also that kind of idea. You, you use a phrase that compliance in in a lot of fields is um it's very much a black box and i think that's an interesting phrase because yeah i, th- I think we, we we talk a lot on this show um, and i talk a lot in my day job around kind of data compliance and data security and regulatory compliance when it comes to data so not necessarily in the financial services sector in the way that you do but but across kind of general general organizations and, and the way they use their data uh, and making sure they can keep track of it and understand the contents of it etc uh, and i think there is a, a little bit of it's seen very much as this kind of fine art um so you know so maybe we can we can apply some context around that so so when it comes to fintech and you talked about actually that phrase reg tech as well which is maybe something people aren't familiar with um what what kind of what's the kind of state of the industry at the moment you know what, what are some of the challenges that you see um when it comes to financial services particularly around this area of regulation and compliance Absolutely, Paul. Uh, so, Paul, what I'll do is I'll give you some statistics, right? And uh, these statistics should be a, something which will uh, basically uh, talk more about the problem and why basically uh, we exist. So globally, uh, less than 1% of the illicit transfers are being brought to light, right? And the estimated amount of money laundered per year is roughly US $1 trillion dollars. Now, uh, that's a lot of money, which is laundered every year uh, without a trace because only 1% is brought to light. Number two, uh, if you see, right, uh, the the regulatory fines that have been imposed right from 2008-9 meltdown till today on banks, financial institutions has roughly been uh, 450 billion USD. Now, this is whose money It's your and my money which is basically lost now specifically in context to india every three months we see the regulatory board in india keeps on finding banks right many of the nbfcs have lost their license many of the uh, uh, cooperative banks are actually uh, the licenses have been cancelled the depositors have lost their money now, why this is happening, right? This is happening primarily because somewhere somebody either didn't understand what the compliances would be, or somebody probably willfully uh, may have uh, done, uh, may have been a wrongdoer. Very recently, I think today, uh, the, the news in India says that roughly 30 to 40 uh, easy uh, loan giving apps right in India have actually been uh, banned from Google Store. Uh, so what has happened over here is that, right? Uh, specifically, uh, this set of organizations have actually violated com- the compliance or the regulations which is set forth by the regulatory body. Now this would not have happened, right? If uh, there was active participation. Uh, from their compliance teams, or they have taken advisory from uh, regulatory uh, or 
advisory organizations or regulatory technology organizations. So this is the gap uh, which prevails today as well. And this is what is still not solved. And that's what we aim to solve. I mean, it's really interesting, actually, those statistics, because while he was talking about those kind of, um, you know, that massive level of um, fraud, I guess, you know, so that that, that kind of massive level of, uh, you know, one trillion dollars, I think he talks about in terms of money laundering, et cetera. Um, one of the questions that was when you talked about banks losing licenses and financial institutions losing licenses, one of my questions was going to be, well, what happens to the people who put but actually you, you kind of covered it already in that people lose those kind, you know, lose that money, you know, lost that, that investment in that institution. Because I think sometimes, you know, if I go back to that phrase you used before that, um, people look at compliance, people look at regulation as this kind of black box. And I think sometimes they look at that because they don't see real impact in terms of, we, we all hear about fines and uh, et cetera. You know, we, we hear about those big fines, you know, here in the UK, we've heard about big fines to the likes of British Airways for kind of data breach, you know, fa- a failure to kind of follow regulation. But often as a as an individual, we don't feel that pain. I mean, a, a flight with, you know, a flight with an airline or, you know, s- some kind of interaction with a, an organisation has had a big fine, maybe slightly more expensive next time. But but in reality, I, I don't think we see see the impact. But it's it's a really stark contrast to what you're talking about there, where people have you know, lost potentially sizable investments in those organizations and I, and I think for like most people you know you can't you can't afford just to lose a sizable investment because you've put it in a financial institution that you was hoping um you was ho- or you expected would be you know a- acting legally would be robust and would be around for some time to come so so I think that's a really interesting kind of stark um stark warning of some of the issues that we see when it comes to financial services and regulation so 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 what what are people trying to do at the moment i mean you talked about there's not an awful lot of um lot of control there's not an awful lot of um investments in people trying to solve these problems but but are you seeing some attempts at the moment to solve these problems or is it just with the way technology is traditional technology is it is it just too hard to solve um so what i i would answer this question in two parts right so every problem is solvable that's what we believe right now, uh, what are the two things that, that is needed to solve the problem, right? Uh, number one, it has to be the person who is basically solving the problem need to have the domain understanding. And number two, it is, uh, it is you have to have the skill to basically ensure that with the domain understanding, you ha- understand the problem and you're able to solve it. Now, let's talk about uh, the very specific questions question that you have asked me, right? Which is uh, pertaining to the fact that uh, what is happening now, right? So unfortunately, uh, what is happening now or probably been happening is that we are just doing hot fixes. So this is a terminology which comes from software where we see that, okay, there is an issue in production. It's very critical. Let's somehow fix it and move ahead. So this is basically happening across. So every uh, financial institution, uh, if they do a hot fix sort of thing. What happens next, unfortunately, is that a new problem crept up. And when a new problem crept up, you probably have to do one more hot fix. Ideally, the whole problem should be seen in a holistic way, right? 
Now let me talk by giving a bit of example and what I'm actually trying to emphasize. So an AML compliance officer who typically takes care of the frauds, the money laundering, right? So that compliance officer has to deal with 12 IT and non-IT systems. Now, typically, if you see for a single individual case, uh, this individual has to go through 12 systems, get data, which is in multiple different format. Now, harmonize all this data and uh, basically put it together, then analyze this data, post analysis, understand what is the outcome from this data and then probably help make a decision. Now imagine this is just about one case and the person gets probably 300, 500, or let's say more than that number of cases. So what happens here is that uh, this person has to, was actually recruited to make a noble decision. But what he or she is spending time in is basically harmonizing, gathering, merging this data, and then to basically put it together, put it into the system to basically get the analysis done. Now, over this period of time when this person is doing or spending 80% of the time in basically this particular set of steps, what happens here is that the patients or the quality, right? What supposedly is, is, is supposed to come out, right? Actually degrades. Now, now that's where uh, I, I think the problem happens, right? So you have to understand that if 80% of your time is going on, going in collection of the data and basically uh, ensuring the data comes in the right format, right, uh, basically right clues or insights should come out and then those clues would be utilized for making decision, you are losing a lot of valuable time. And that's what is causing the major problem. What is happening here is as hot fixes, we are bringing in uh, some systems in between to help this uh, individual. And that is where I'm talking about the 12 IT and non-IT systems, but this is not helping. If this was helping, then we wouldn't have so many fines uh, so many uh, number of frauds happening and then so many fines happening and so many, I mean, uh, data leaks, uh, in, as, as you were rightly mentioning, or even uh, a fraudulent activity happening across. So that's precisely one of the reasons, and there can be multiple more, but one of the key reasons is this. Yeah, so so I suppose within there, one, one of the, uh, so one of those issues, and I think this is a, you know, this is a huge issue when it comes to the, the kind of the increasingly data-driven worlds that we're living is the quality of the data is so important. So I, I suppose kind of that example is a really good one that, that somebody's gathering all of this data together, but actually the whole process potentially is broken. So the the output, the information that they gain from that data is actually not not much good anyway. And as you said, you know, if the data was good, if the process worked, we wouldn't be having all of these fines, we wouldn't be having all of these, uh, you know, these businesses closing down because, you know, that their, their processes were were solid and they were catching kind of fraudulent activity. Um, I just want to ask one other question, actually, just just on top of um, what, what you've just talked about there in, in the introduction. And, and when we were talking before we recorded, we, we kind of talked about this idea that um, that you also see an, an increased issue in situations where people don't have 
a digital footprint currently so you don't have an existing digital footprint um you know so so is that is that making this problem more difficult to solve is it a different problem when we come across people who don't have access to access to a digital footprint and, and maybe just actually for the listeners did you want to apply some context to what we mean by digital footprint as well Absolutely. I think uh, when we talk about digital footprint, right, what we are en- essentially trying to do here is that we are essentially talking about uh, the aspect, right? So, so this aspect is primarily uh, whether this individual has ever taken a, a, a loan from a, uh, any, any of the institutions, right? So, in, I mean, which is basically an institution which is authorized for lending or probably have invested into an institution, right, which is authorized uh, for doing uh, investment. Or uh, uh, maybe whether this individual has actually uh, 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 gone online and used some amount of social media, or basically have, 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 have showcased any sort of preferences or, 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 or any, any sort of transactions, right, over any of the mediums be it any financial medium or i mean for me i i would just focus on the financial uh, processes uh, basically digit, digital footprint may mean a lot for many uh, different in industries but for us as a financial uh, uh, ser- i mean into financial service and uh, as, as a regulated tech company into financial service i will just basically uh, curtail this discussion to digital footprint which comes out uh, when somebody is uh, is basically either using an application of any uh, registered uh, 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 or uh, registered institution to avail uh, probably a, a loan or or borrow from there or probably is investing uh, or probably depositing in one of the institutions so that would ideally uh, be my uh, 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 explanation to digital footprint of in case when you are uh, for anybody in the financial industry and that makes a lot of sense because i think um, you know and you can see why your expertise is obviously the financial services sector you can see how that problem um, could could uh, you know could be repeated across any kind of industry that that lack of traceability i suppose you know so 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 much of what we're doing in terms of regulatory compliance is you know is based on us understanding somebody's digital activity this idea of almost is user behavioral analytics you know the idea that is that user behavior normal is that user behavior something we can trust and if it isn't we can do something about it but you know i think you make a very good point what do you do when you can't trace enough user behavior to make that decision um and so i guess that leads us nicely on to i suppose where we're pie chain and you, and you guys come in so um so so, so let's talk about that how, how are you so 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 yeah i think you've given a good description of the problem so so how are you looking at solving that you know what what are the technology trends what are you taking advantage of as a as a team as an organization to try and help solve um what you can see even from the numbers you shared at the beginning is a massive you know massive problem globally so so how can we how can we hope to solve it absolutely paul i think uh, uh, uh what we are trying to ensure let me talk about that and then probably i will start i'll talk a bit on the methodology how we have identified the problem and how we are solving it so if you talk about uh, what we are trying to achieve we are trying to make compliance sustainable so what does essentially it means is here is that we are uh, increasing the overall uh, compliance confidence score of a financial institution. 
right? Or a fintech or a small finance bank or PA and BFC uh, in our context. Uh, what we are also essentially trying to do is there, we are essentially uh, trying to use the regulatory capital in the most efficient way. Now, every organization in the budget as assigns some regulatory capital, but you need to know how to use it efficiently, whether it is growing the number of headcounts or whether it is using smart technology and having the right skilled people to basically monitor, augment and decide. Finally, uh, uh, what we do here is that we help organizations to reduce their cost of compliance year on year. And for us, when you achieve these three things, uh, basically quarter on quarter, year on year, you are in the path of sustainable compliance. And that's typically uh, what we try to uh, ensure for an organization. See, now you've said the magic words there of reducing the cost of compliance and making compliance more sustainable. So we're going to have to dig into uh, how we go about doing that with, without you giving away any trade secrets, obviously. Absolutely. So I think I, th I think the most important part, I think, uh, of every business is whether you have talked to a lot of people trying to understand what problem they have. And this is where we roughly did a survey with 300 compliance officers globally. Now, what we understand here is that there were multiple, uh, uh, I mean, uh, astonishing facts which came out, right? But we took the three big challenges which they had posed to us. So number one was uh, basically increased regulatory demand. And basically, how can they quickly adopt to regulatory changes? So that was the most important thing which they pointed out. Next thing was uh, there are organized frauds, right? So how to overcome that? Finally, I think the one that I have mentioned, the cost of compliance. Now, when we understood these three facts, we basically understood that this is very much aligned to the experience that we ourselves has got while we were working somewhere. What has been the challenges most of the risk and compliance teams have been facing, the CIOs, CEOs have been facing. So, so, so to, so to uh, basically help solve that, right? What we understood here is that we need to have very specialized smart systems, right? So this is where uh, what we have built here is a system uh, which basically uh, uh, has got the flavor of uh, AI, machine learning, natural language processing, right? All imbibed into it, right? Along with a, a rock solid traceability uh, via uh, blockchain, right? So this product uh, that we have built, right? Or the, or the underlying rock band, rock hard uh, platform that we have built, right? So that's called DeepPi. So DeepPi uh, augments a compliance officer to provide faster, better, and accurate decisions. So we, as in like the founders, we brought in our deep domain technology, market expertise, and help build this AI and, uh, and machine learning based uh, system, which self-learns from the experiences. Now, what it does here is that it does rapid knowledge uh, extraction, uh, tacit knowledge capture, and the most important thing is that it provides precision recommendations, right? 
So we ensure all the three things are put together. And finally, what are the benefits it provides? So three key benefits, right? We provide an augmented human enterprise, right? So what essentially it means here is that every compliance officer, be it young, as in like three to five years into the system, or be it 15 to 25 years into the system, can actually work at the same skill and capacity. Number two, knowledge cross-pollination. So the top performers who are probably the 5% and their peers who are the 95% rest, right? So both of them can share their knowledge. And then with knowledge cross-pollination, I mean, the overall knowledge of the organization is elevated. And the third, again, all of these are built with uh, the, the cutting edge technologies and uh, this whole system, as I said, is built with cutting edge technologies as in like the, the programming, uh, the tech tools that are used are very much cutting edge to ensure that it's futuristic in nature, right? Because we understand the future which is coming would be of newer technologies and we cannot build something which is a little older in terms of technology, like a Java, C, C++. Although those are like very uh, prominent languages which we had uh, uh, when even we were working. But we understand that we need something new, something faster, and that is the kind of technology which has been with which it has been built, just more futuristic in nature. So this is a way of kind of overcoming the issue we talked about before where an individual or department in an organization is charged with trying to tie together all of those bits of information to look at the validity of a transaction. And actually what we're doing is we're taking advantage of, you know, the ability to process more rapidly with, you know, leading edge technologies, the ability to pull together far more um, broad information sources than we could probably do as human beings um, and the ability to spot those trends that again you know I mean and this is kind of proper data science isn't it that ability to spot trends that as human beings again we would we would struggle to uh, spot ourselves because they're just you know they're, they're either too vast or we'd have to look at too much data and we just don't have the time because actually the the pressures as you kind of talked about earlier on the pressures on those individuals to make decisions are of such that you know if, if probably if they were given 50 years to look at every transaction they'd be able to do it but of course you can't have 50 years to look at every transaction because the the, the world can't just stop like that i, I mean interesting one, one thing that did kind of go into the back of my mind as you as you were talking though we, we talked earlier on about people who don't have these kind of digital tracks these digital footprints so, so in this case where we're looking at more and more data and we're making better decisions based on data, how is that addressing that kind of piece where people maybe have not not no digital footprint, I suppose, to, to be fair to what you're talking about before, but have very limited digital footprints? Do, how does that solve that problem? Absolutely. I think uh, that is very interesting. Again, uh, this is where, uh, again, AI data science typically helps a lot, right? So whenever you don't have a lot of data about an individual, uh, you make decision on transactional behavior or contextual behavior. So we understand the behavioral aspects, either it is transactional, contextual, usability, and all those trends helps us to make better decisions, right? So I think it's always a little tricky, but I guess uh, with the nice 
AI, data science space uh, methodologies which have come to the forefront, right? Uh, I mean, I'll just take a step back and talk about statistics. Uh, if you see statistics, statistics takes has got two terms. So what is what is called population and sample, right? So you can never basically uh, work on the population. You have to work on the sample. And the sample has to be such that it represents the population. And if you are able to make that sample well, connect the, the dots of the behavior and transactions, right? You're able to say whether this sample is part of this population or of a different population. So I think anybody who comes from a data science background might be able to appreciate this, but this is how you probably take trends, understand trends, and then connect the trends with the individual and then basically help uh, with the minimal data make better decisions. So, so even with my very limited uh, data, data data science knowledge, and when I say limited, I mean none, um, that actually that makes perfect sense because you know that you, you can see exactly how that clears that challenge up because what we have is this massive data set, and although that individual may not have their own digital footprint, their behaviour is probably going to match something that we've got in this massive data set and because and i get i guess the answer to kind of how you're solving that problem is because you can make those decisions so quickly and because the way you're making those decisions is improving the accuracy of that capability so much that actually even for somebody who has no digital footprint let alone a, a, a small digital footprint but has none whatsoever you would still be able to look at that kind of the transaction that they're currently going through and you've got this massive data set that says, actually, I've seen a thousand people who look like this person and those thousand people all did this thing. So the chances this person is going to do the same thing as well. Is is that kind of roughly roughly it? So, yes, I mean, uh, of course, I mean, you you have you have touched the right uh, uh, trends, uh, but it is actually a lot more complex than that. So that's why I took a very simple example. <laughs> Uh, because yeah, I needed simple shop. Let, let's be fair. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I think there can be over a five thousand seven hundred types of trends that you basically try to work on, and then you have to basically make your decision roughly around thirteen hundred to fourteen hundred trends. So I think that's 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 roughly the complexity of the problem. But I think you have explained it very well. <laughs> Thank you. That's very nice of you. Um, well, look, sure, we're, we're kind of coming to the end of, uh, of our uh, of our time here, and you know, it's it's a it's a late uh, on a Friday evening for you, without giving too much away of the uh, secrets of when we're recording. Um, but what I wanted to just kind of wrap up on very briefly, I, you know, I think this is a really interesting conversation, you know, and and the, I, I love to hear stories about practical use of data science. You know, I talk about data a lot with people, and I think that there's there's a really um, there's some assumptions that, that making, you know, that we can, there's so many tools available now that everybody can make decisions around data. And I think it's it's interesting to hear about practical examples of people who are data scientists who are smart with data, building platforms that solve real world problems. So so thank you for sharing that. Um, so, so if people do want to find out more about PyChain, um, maybe, you know, if they want to find out whether your solutions are applicable to them, what's a good way they can do go about doing that? So I think the best thing is our website, which is uh, www.pychainlabs.com. So uh, that's the number one. Number two, we are uh, all, I mean, me, my co-founders, and my team is there in LinkedIn. So you can look for PyChain on LinkedIn and be able to uh, find PyChain, and you can then find all the people. You can find me in LinkedIn. I'm very much active on LinkedIn. 
and uh, please reach out to me with your messages i'm uh, happy to answer them as well and if there are synergies happy to work with you well sure well, I, I i think that's been brilliant and i'll make sure that the website and the 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 the, the link to the linkedin site for pie chain um uh, it goes in the show notes as well but sure for now look, I, I, that's been a really fascinating conversation you know and i think it's, it's a fascinating real world problem that you guys are trying to help to solve um and so you know i'll be certainly paying attention to to kind of how you develop and how you continue to innovate and um thanks for being on the show and uh, hopefully we'll get you on again sometime in the future but sure for now uh, thanks for being a guest on tech interviews and uh, thanks for being with us Thank you so much, Paul. Um, it has been an amazing discussion. I'm looking forward for more in the future. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed that. For show notes, pop over to techstringy.com. We'll also find all of our previous Tech Interviews episodes. And if you've got an idea for a show or would like to join me as a guest, why not email me at podcast at techstringy.com. To make sure you catch the next episode of Tech Interviews, then why not subscribe? You can subscribe in all good homes of podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher and Spotify, as well as, of course, over on YouTube. So until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.